We are in the middle of the fourth industrial revolution. So I thought it was high time to explore with somebody who has lived in leadership positions in the corporate world, successfully run and sold businesses, and now spends her professional time between impact investing and making a real difference to this world on her gender lens work. Heather Palson Muller is a real leader who talks about what having real impact as a leader really means. Listen, love, and learn. This is Flex in the City. Today in Flex in the City, we interview Hedda Paulson Muller, Impact and Sustainability Catalyst, Luxembourg. Hedda talks passionately about inclusion, gentle and sustainable leadership, and the importance of how you show up as a leader. All that happening right now in Flex and the City. Hello, everybody. This is Rachel Treese on Flex and the City, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have somebody who's a very good friend of mine, and her name is Hedda Parlson-Muller. I did ask her to help me with the pronunciation, didn't I, Hedda? But uh, she said it would be very, very complicated for me to do the Swedish uh, pronunciation. So uh, welcome, Hedda. And um, I also asked Hedda to help me uh, introduce her and tell our listeners a little bit about what her title is. And she said, well, Rachel, you know me, so explain a little bit about who I am. So I'll try to um, count as many of the hats as I can remember, and Hedda can help me out. Hedda is an entrepreneur. She's an impact investor. She's a forester. She's a mother. She's passionate about climate change. Are there any other hats, Hedda, I have missed? And welcome to Flex in the City. Thank you, Rachel. I'm sure there's many hats, but the more we add, the more confusing it gets for everybody else. So why don't we stick with those? I, I, um, I have, I, I guess I'll throw in that I also have a very kind of academic life as a professor and uh, an educator. And um, yeah, no, the forester is always one that throws people off. But at the, at the base, I'm an entrepreneur. I love building things and creating things. Fantastic. So I'd love to, you know, if you could go back to the beginning and, and tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, how you came to be doing what you're doing now. What, what's the story? Tell me the story, Hedda. Oh my, do we run the podcast, the story of Hedda's life? And, you know, you have to condense it into something that's meaningful for other people. But I, I guess the pieces of the puzzle that are relevant is that I have Swedish parents. That's why I have a Swedish name. And I was born in Quebec in Canada. And I grew up in the US and then I've lived in about 10 countries before I ended up in lovely little Luxembourg. So I, I've been very curious and interested about the world, but I've also always been quite different wherever I am. I was an immigrant in the United States where diversity is something that is both an opportunity and a very delicate challenge. So uh, I remember I was interviewed recently for an organization that I'm supporting that they wanted to know where my impact story started. And I had to really dig into my past to say, where did I become so interested in diversity and inclusion? And, and I do think that being an immigrant in the United States and wanting to fit in and also being a tomboy and wanting to be accepted for being rather different than the, the other girls in my class has probably tuned me into this idea that people are different and need to be celebrated for their differences and, and embraced as such. and uh, makes me very sensitive to inclusion issues. Uh, and that's part of my investment thesis, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. Absolutely. And did you ever feel um, different when you were a child in, in the US? I think 
all kids feel different and are sensitive to that issue about not fitting in or not being exactly like everybody else. And I, I think I realized quite early that being different was both a challenge, but this wonderful opportunity because you could shine uh, if you could leverage it, if you could find a way to accept yourself and be confident in the, the peculiarities that made you different. If you could leverage that, then it was incredibly powerful. But if you let it turn to its darker side, you could easily get lost. So yeah, of course I felt different. And sometimes I felt power in that. And sometimes I felt shame in that. And that's been a lifelong journey. Absolutely. So if you were to sort of listen to your stomach or your knowing or your passion or whatever we want to call it, um, you have many passions, but what is the one that is burning, you know, perhaps right, right now? What is uh, um, the thing that really gets you out of bed in the morning? I think an idea, uh, the idea that we're all intrinsically kind and compassionate people that want they want good. And yet somehow we've been formatted in a system, a society that, that perhaps we need to unlearn some components of, of our education and our uh, life training that has disconnected us from that personal conviction that you are a good person and that you can contribute to society and not have to demean others to create meaning for yourself. I think there's a lot of discrepancies in in our humanity right now and how we're trying to align our values with uh, whether our investing or our professional careers. So I think we're all like in a sense of, we use this word earlier, dissonance mm. um, that we need to adjust. So I, I feel like we can improve this. I think that it's a it's inherent in us as people to to be compassionate and kind and empathetic and, and non-destructive and non-violent. Uh, but the society and that we live in today is somehow honing much darker skills uh, that makes us oblivious to, to the damage that we're creating to ourselves, to the, to the environment, to people around us, et cetera. Mm. What are those darker skills, Heather? Uh, the darker skills, I think, is again, if you turn off your sense of, values and integrity um, when you come to work. Like, let's say you are at home, a kind, loving father, husband, good neighbor, uh, generous, uh, gracious, because you feel that this is the type of person that you are mm. and want to be. And those values define you and, and your neighbors and your friends and your family would, would speak about you as such. Uh, and then interestingly, that same man might come to the office, hang up his, his hat and his jacket and suddenly adopt a totally different personality where he might be quite ruthless against his employees and suppliers or with this concept that I'm here to make as much profit as possible and to optimize my resources. So therefore, the human element needs to be put aside. I have to forget that I, I want to be a kind and compassionate person because I need to optimize my returns. And that, that dissonance is what I think fundamentally has led us to this place where we've created and accumulated so much wealth in these little pockets and so much environmental degradation on the side. It's not logical. It comes from a very kind of human nature of of wanting to please other people and following a set of rules that aren't necessarily 
aligned with what it is that we are supposed to be doing. Mm. I'm getting very, very philosophical and esoteric here. And I, 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 I know that that's a part of the conversation that you probably have to get to a little bit later. Um, but just very, very simply, I think our obsession with profit and everything we learned in our education systems uh, that, you know, we're supposed to maximize that has just blindsided us from the reality of being kind to ourselves and to the environments and living in some type of uh, synchronicity with with the world around us. So is there a leader that you can think of, either alive or, or, or dead, that has managed to, where there hasn't been that dissonance and they've managed to lead with heart? Is there, is there somebody that you can think of? Oh, I always trip on that question when people ask me, like, who, like who's the most inspiring person and, and somebody that captures all... I love underdogs. I love... I mean, whatever book I'm reading at any given time is probably where my, my, or, or article is my moment of, of inspiration. Uh, and do I know one person that represents everything that I find, uh, holy, I, I can't think of him or her right now. There's so many people whose teachings and whose lives full of integrity and compassion have certainly inspired me. But uh, if I start naming one, then I'm going to feel bad later on when I realize that I didn't name somebody else. So I'm just going to say that the characteristics that I care about are vulnerability, humility, conviction, kindness, compassion, resolution, humor, because I love humor. And wherever I find that, uh, and I can find that in so many places, I tend to get a spark of inspiration. Very good. Very good. You need to come to a meeting with myself, Dave and Steve to have a little bit of humor. We'll give you a little bit of humor header. Mm. So that's what you stand for as a leader. All of those words that you've just used. <laughs> I wish those are the probably the elements that I endeavor towards, but you know, I let go of this idea that there's a formula for, for leadership or thinking that I represent what other people need. I can only speak for my convictions and find people that are on similar journeys of self-discovery and values alignment. And they tend to lean in and listen. The others, not. Mm. So financial services, you and I have both worked in and around financial services. So I'm curious to know what skills do you think are needed by financial services leaders to ensure its uh, sustainability and long-term viability to support that industry? Hmm. That's a big one. Uh, skills needed, I guess, given the, the volatile world that we live in and the challenges that we're, we're facing right now. And once we get past this idea that the vaccine is going to be a panacea for a, 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 a virus that is, is really in a pandemic that's taken over our ideas of how we can solve problems. And once we stop thinking about that or the price of Bitcoin, we're going to start thinking about climate change and, and that incredibly looming risk that we have ahead. So we're going to need to be flexible, adaptable, patient, compassionate, innovative, these are the elements that, that, that are required because there's there, nobody with a rigid model of how they are running their business or even their lives uh, will be able to sustain the kind of sh shift that is going to be required to adapt to the new world as it's coming very fast. Yeah. So what you're saying, Heather, if I hear you well, is that the coronavirus and the pandemic is a head cold in the big scheme of what's to come? It's a wake-up call. I mean, if, if people who didn't take the time in 2020 when things slowed down to recognize what kind of shifts 
we have coming and what kind of flexibility is required to adapt to these troubling times. It's going to get really, really hard. People who expect things to go back to normal, as they call, call it, quote unquote, are in for, I think, a, a very humbling surprise when they realize that it's there's a new world order coming um, and it requires a different set of skills and a different way of doing things. Mm. And, and what do, how do leaders need to be in this, uh, in this new uh, world that's looming? How do leaders, leaders need to show up? I think with the same, same skill set we mentioned earlier, that this flexibility and adaptability and patience and compassion, I think there's going to have to be a whole new model of recognizing, you know, people have always said my, the most important valuable asset in my organization is my people. And it feels like words, empty words, when you really look at the way they, um, they treat their staff, um, the working hours, the, uh, the push for productivity and output. Uh, and it's the same thing with greenwashing for climate change. We're green, we're green. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I feel like sometimes greenwashing is a first step towards people getting on a journey. And after they talk about it long enough, somebody's going to hold them accountable and they might uh, hopefully get on a more sincere or authentic journey towards, towards addressing their part and contribution to it. Um, but the same thing with this, this wordplay of taking care of people. Um, they are the most valuable asset in these organizations. And we have to have a completely new way of taking care of the well-being of people. Uh, if there's any one good thing from COVID-19 and all this disruptive working from home is that hopefully that there's going to be less working hours so that people can live a more balanced life. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hedda, I'd, I'd like to go to, towards younger people. If you were um, going to advise a young person starting their their life, their career in financial services in or around, um, what advice would you give them? Younger? You mean younger than me? That's very, very young, Rachel. I know. Very, very young. But- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Well, for those youthful uh, men and women that are starting their careers and their lives, I I guess one would want to use some spinoff of the of the Gandhi's uh, be the change you want to see. Although I read a bunch of stories that he didn't really say that it was something else, but uh, I still like the concept. So we're going to stick with it. Uh, I think people shouldn't underestimate their influence in the organizations they join. Uh, and generally people come in with perhaps what's considered naive ideas of creating new, um, new aspirations for the organizations on anything from equality and inclusion or, or, you know, a lot of people start their jobs thinking that they're going to move the needle from the bottom up and they can't give up on that. Uh, of course, you have to adapt to the corporate culture, but never. And I think about these millennials who genuinely have a different setting when it comes to issues on diversity and sustainability. They they've been committed since their you know first grade class when they learned about about fossil fuels being uh, uh, destructive. They they have a different mindset uh, and are prepared to make different sacrifices. Uh, and I really hope they continue to change the organizations from the inside out and assert their their convictions and their their ideals uh, in the organization as much as possible and 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 endeavor to create 
the corporate cultures that they they want to be part of. Absolutely. Uh, and so I'd like to move on now to to the inclusion and the diversity agenda. We're two um, wonderful female leaders, Hedda. Um, how are we doing on this um, diversity and inclusion agenda? What's your opinion? So the metrics are very different worldwide versus um, perhaps the Western world versus different industry segments, which have, have uh, different countries who have made incredible advancements, others which are very far behind. So it really depends on the lens that we put on that we want to look at that. And, and in the financial services space, we still know that there's, it's, there's still very traditional models um, and a lot of homo- homogeneity in the leadership levels. Uh, we've discussed that in private equity and public equities. But the business case has been made. I have a, a wonderful website that has 650 reports about why diversity can create outperformance, better results, um, a healthier working atmosphere. I mean, there's financial products that are designed in from ETFs to uh, um, hedge funds that are dealing with leveraging diversity as alpha. Uh, and I think if we stop talking about the business case, because whether it's McKinsey or Ernst Young or, or Wharton Business School, who can show statistically data-driven, evidence-driven that if you can embrace diversity, you will um, be able to function better this way, that way. Uh, and if we stop talking about that and more about the how to best implement it, which is different depending on the culture and the, um, the organization you're in, uh, I, I can say that I'm personally extremely um, happy about the movement around gender smart investing. Cause you know, if we talk about gender as one of the larger diversity issues, given that half of society are women. And if we struggle with, integrating them in the decision-making process, how are we going to deal with other minorities? Um, then I can say that there's, there's an incredible awareness from SDG five uh, to gender smart investing that shows that shows that there is a, a, um, a very fast moving and determined movement to address gender equality uh, and then we have you know racial equity coming up very strong worldwide as as a issue you put racial and gender together and you're also talking about a very sensitive issue so i'm positive about the movement i'm disappointed that we still have so far to go uh and i think we all have to do a lot of work and i can say if i'm very honest and open that i mean my own journey into being gender positive and recognizing my unconscious biases you know even as a woman has been so delicate and challenging. Uh, and if I struggle with it, I understand why others would as well. And change is hard, Rachel. Change is hard. Um, but we're moving in the right direction. So let's stay positive. Absolutely. So talking about positivity, um, I, I'd like to conclude our conversation and talk about meditation. And I know that meditation is something that, that you have personally used, but I'm curious to know how has it impacted Heather, your performance as a leader on this planet? And um, we did have a giggle about this on this planet rather than any other planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, on planet earth, um, my experience is I, I, I would take 
the question answered backwards. I don't know how other people perceive my leadership. I haven't asked that question. How do you perceive my leadership? Uh, if you indeed, indeed consider me a leader after I've begun a process of committing to regular meditation and mindfulness. Um, so that's probably what I would have to do to answer your question correctly. But if I just reflect on what it's done for me in terms of giving me a sense of balance and being centered, which is much easier when you're trying to make decisions and following through on decisions. It, it was it was a practice kind of like the, the humbling track of understanding my own subconscious or unconscious biases on gender. I had to do the same thing with mindfulness and meditation, which I was probably a little bit allergic to because I was one of these very active people. If something was distressing me or bothering me, I would just get busy with something else to deal with it. Uh, and as anybody who's tried that strategy knows, it accumulates. And then there's this point where it, it becomes bigger than what your coping mechanisms can handle. And you end up imploding or exploding or harming yourself or people around you. And bad habits get are awfully sticky, as 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 we know. Good habits are a little bit harder to implement, and you and you want them to stick. So meditation was a um, a very humbling process to learn how to sit quietly with my thoughts and that little voice that's always judging you and and judging other people and reminding you about all the things you should have done and could have done. So I think it's given me a, a sense of peace. Uh, and I assume, uh, again, I'd have to ask people around me, but I assume that that has uh, softened and made more uh, productive and meaningful my relationships with the people around me professionally and personally. Absolutely. I'm sure. I'm sure it has. So, so if you were to give a message from that deep knowing, you know, head of having done some meditation, you to give a bottom line message to all of those leaders out there. We have a big audience of leaders from the financial services industry right the way across um, the world. And if you were to give a message to all of those leaders, um, what's the message that you'd like to give them, Heather? I think so many of us are on autopilot. Things that we've learned in the past uh, that we need to start unlearning and relearning. Uh, and all the messages that, again, that we were saying about, well, you really need to be kind and forgiving to yourself before you can do so for others. And, and you need to take, you know, what, I'm sure everybody's heard that you're supposed to meditate and take care of yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, how can you take care of others? All these little sayings um, obviously have meanings that you really only understand if you take the time to, to think about it. So this kindness and compassion that we're asking people to show to their, their colleagues, their staff, their, their professional and personal environments will always come from the kindness and compassion they can show to themselves. So this whole idea of going through a personal journey and whether you do that through mindfulness or any other tool that works for you to take that time to think about who you are and what you represent, what's important for you. If you can do that and you can find that gentleness with yourself, I think it will just naturally flow into um, how you interact with other people. So I would just in encourage and invite everybody in a leadership position to be probably gentler with themselves than they, than they are. 
Uh, and that sounds ironic because you want, you know, you want to tell people to go around and be nice to everybody else, but I think they probably have to be nicer to themselves first. And from there, the change will happen. Wow. Thank you, Hedda. Hedda Palson Muller, thank you so much for showing up and being a, a gentle leader on Flex in the City. So there's only one, one word I can use to conclude this interview today, and that is namaste. Namaste. You just listened to Flex in the City. Catch us on our next episode.